So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. Today I'm here with Paul Millard, who's an independent creator and writer with a background in consulting, having worked for uh, Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey, before venturing out on his own. Um, he has courses on both strategy consulting and freelance consulting. And most recently, uh, he's published a book called The Pathless Path, which explores our relationship with work following his own career journey, uh, which involved taking a very different path from one might consider the traditional route. So, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you on. Excited to be here, Jonathan. Absolutely. So, let's start off with uh, with your your book. So, this is a very timely book because obviously now with the pandemic, we've got the you know people working from home, so they've had to like completely change their whole working environment. We've got now we've got the great resignation that's going on. Um, I saw you mentioned the great resign resignation might be also considered the great sabbatical as well. Um, but, um, you know, you've been writing about themes related to this for quite some time. So I'm curious, like, can you tell us, like, was your book intentional, like around the, the timing of the, the publishing? Or is this something that was just in the works? Or how, how, did, how did that come about? Most of the stuff I do is very emergent and just in the flow of things I'm curious about or want to be doing. So I don't really aim to like hit targets or like I have to do this to take advantage of this opportunity. And I'm sure we'll dig into that. But it really started with my own resignation. So I quit uh, my consulting job in 2017. I was not at a point when I was like financially independent or like reached some state where I could just do whatever I want wanted. I was just kind of burned out and didn't really know what I wanted. And I kind of wanted to escape work. I think what I discovered almost immediately in trying to repurpose myself as a freelance consultant is one, uh, I may not actually want to go all in on being a freelance consultant. That felt like creating another job for me. And two, I had way more freedom and autonomy over my life than I imagined. And that just started opening, opening me up to questioning like, well, what was I doing for the previous 10 years? Like if I had all this hidden freedom of how to structure my life, why why was I so uh, narrow in my imagination and the possibilities for my life? So I started writing as a way to make sense of my own journey. And in 2020, the rest of the world seemed to show up to my explorative conversation and want to start talking to me about these things. And that's where I really, uh, things just started accelerating and kind of a book emerged naturally out of that. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And and you were saying it was a bit of a, a, a well, the pandemic was a bit of a snowball effect, an acceleration process of actually putting that book out there. Yeah, I in 2018, I moved abroad uh, to Taiwan, I was trying to lean into the possibility and space of my life. And I decided, you know what, I'm gonna work fully remotely. This seems like the way things are headed. And like, I'm going to lose business. Like people aren't going to be willing to work with me because the assumption, even with like freelance consultants, there's like, you have to be available. You have to like meet with your client in person. So people would just talk to me and be like, Oh, this is great. But like, you need to be in person. So I wasn't getting any freelance projects, but I was just like, yeah, I'm going to design my life around the way I want to live, which is I'm going to work remotely and I want to work on creative projects. I want to try and write, explore, do all these experiments. And yeah, I, I was kind of early on that, which is weird because you don't want a bunch of people to join you because of a pandemic, but that's kind of what happened. Yeah. It's interesting because I've spoken to people who, who work for these you know, management consultancy, you know, one of these big names, 
and they um there's definitely a lot of resistance when it comes to uh embracing the uh you know the virtual working situation uh what one of them was talking to was saying uh you know he's convinced everything's going to go back to in person you know it's like oh companies have tried it and hasn't worked um but you know there's no better way to do the work that we do uh all the all the reconnaissance you know all the everything that we need to know in order to do our jobs is done in hallway chats in coffee conversations here and there um so i'm curious like how like how did you how did you transfer to a virtual working situation? Like, how were you able, were there any particular ways that you found really worked for you when going from that in-person or hybrid and making it more virtual or, you know, uh, convincing people that was the way to go? In exploring my own relationship with work, I kind of realized there were these just deep beliefs around what people think about work and what it is and how it works. And these Beliefs often are so strong and passed down by our cultures, our peers, our um, parents, our religions, that we're often like don't question them. So I always find it funny, especially like strategy consultants are so convinced a certain way of working is true. They're basically doing like everything they're not trained to do, which is, well, you should define the problem first and then come up with hypotheses to... (laughs) see if that's true or not like test it right and well we've tested it over the past two years and it's perfectly possible to continue to grow a business and work fully remotely so like anyone convincing themselves otherwise is like either longing for a certain way or a certain environment to be things or just want that certainty of like a return to like how things work and i think something deeper is um there's a lot of performance especially in knowledge work of how we do things. We dress up in clothes. We do these ritualistic commutes to the office. We perform in these meetings. We speak in certain ways. So all these codes, right? And then everyone was forced down in their home or their living room and their kitchen. Everyone's wearing like hoodie sweatshirts. Their kids are running around and it's like the performance seems silly now. And what people are craving is like that container to perform again right? Except like, there's no going back. What we're going through is a weird in-between period where we don't really know what comes next. And I think that's the most interesting thing to me is like, it's not, are we returning to normal or not? It's okay. Remote is clearly a possibility. This is fantastic for people's lives, especially parents, given that this is a reality and people are going to opt into it. What does that mean for rethinking how we run our businesses and work and how we live our lives, right? And that's kind of what I was attempting in this book is like basically walking people through how I did that in my own life, basically by stumbling and meandering and making mistakes and not knowing what I was doing. Yeah. The the title itself, The Pathless Path, feels like an oxymoron, no? It's like, how can you have a path if it's pathless? (laughs) Um, how, I'm curious where, where you came up with that title. Was it from, you know, where, where did that come from? The first time I encountered the phrase was in David White. Uh, he's a, he's a poet. Uh, he was a naturalist, um, working for nonprofits and stuff. And at 32 years old, he decided he was going to quit and become a poet, uh, which was insane. Uh, everyone thought he was crazy. Um, but he started writing about our relationship to work and the things that matter to us. And, 
he became like this voice for the corporate world and like speaking in a very spiritual poetic way about like the human experience. And it really connected with me. It was, I think this is what poetry is. It kind of renders you defenseless, right? Like the words are so powerfully powerful and true that like you have to let them in. So like his idea is like a lot of life is a pathless path. Uh, we don't really know what comes next, but by daring to find out and explore the frontier of like where we are and where we're going, we can potentially steer or not steer the ship, but like wait for the signals to tell us what to do next. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a completely different mindset than being at like a consulting company or at a big company and thinking about, okay, what's my five-year plan? How do I plan to get there? What are the actions I need to do now to like succeed in the future? What you're really doing in that experience is trading uh, the future um, or trading the present for the future. And you're constantly living in like a never ending now uh, without actually enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the, the consequences of that, which you you describe as well as is just this perpetual feeling of thinking about work all the time that can lead to burnout and that that's one of the things i really like about your writing especially this book it's very raw it's honest you talk about burnout you talk about health issues personal family issues and so on um that it's it's actually something that's a little bit top of my mind as well actually i was talking to a friend recently we went for a walk and he told me that he hadn't worked for the last two months uh, he is a co-founder of a company and, uh, he just, he just, it, it was his co-founder who pointed out to him. He wouldn't have realized it was actually happening to him, but it was, it was signs of burnout. Basically he wasn't sleeping well. He was just constantly thinking about work. He, he was having palpitations, health issues, even though he is extremely healthy, like he runs marathons and eventually, yeah, they just realized it's, it's just complete burnout that was happening to me but it was such a wake-up call because he's someone i'd never think was actually experiencing that and it's probably a lot more common than we actually uh believe i think so too so i've had these curiosity conversations with people since 2017 i've had this link on my site that says reach out to me and talk to me if you're thinking about work your relationship to work wasn't a ton of people at first but over over time, I started to realize, and especially before the pandemic, people would tell me these terrible things that are happening to them and like the pain they're going through and like the angst. And like, I'm like, well, have you told anyone? They're like, no, I can't tell my spouse. Like, okay. Uh, have you told anyone you work with? No, no, you can't admit these things. Right. So we had all these kind of beliefs built up in this like, understanding that like work is supposed to be suffering and like this unnecessary or I see it as unnecessary, but like this, like you're supposed to feel terrible and people internalize this. And I think the pandemic was sort of a release valve for people to start talking about this. And what I'm noticing now is people are still telling me these terrible things, but they don't really tell their friends. They're starting to tell their spouses, which is like, this is a good step. <laughs> uh, but they're not telling their friends, right? There's a tremendous amount of shame to be like, oh, you're not working? What? When it's like, we need to take a step back and it's like, wh what are we all trying to do here, right? Um, we do want to like push society forward. We Progress is great. Like growth is great. Um, these things are great for the world. But like, what are the trade-offs? 
do we want to do it if everyone's burned to the edges? Yeah, yeah. Um, and for someone who who may be exp- going through this, some of the symptoms of, of, you know, maybe they're just thinking about work all the time. When they're playing with the kids, they're thinking about work. When they wake up in the morning, they... I might be describing some of my own experience here as well. Um, but do you have any, like, how did you, how did you manage to detach yourself more when you started feeling those, having those feelings or thoughts, you know? I don't think there's a way to lean against those. I think there's a number of different ways that work for different people. I think like mindfulness practice that can be really helpful just to be aware that it's there. I think, the real thing though is like you need to get into a different state. Uh, so travel can do this for people, um, going to different places and like not actually going on vacation mode because vacation mode is just an extension of work. It's a hustle. Like I need to see everything. I need to hit the itinerary and like, you know, you've taken a vacation when you're like tired the day after vacation. So I tell people like go take a rest. Like go somewhere, go check into an Airbnb with kitchen, buy a week's worth of groceries and just wander around all week and see what happens and see what that feels like. And then just start noticing like what are, what are the feelings that are serving me? What are they not serving? And then start thinking about, okay, what are some of the trade-offs I'm willing to make? Am I willing to give up some of my income for a little more, a little less stress? Maybe I can't make those decisions for people because those are your own independent values and yearnings and needs. For me, it was I'm will- actually willing to give up a lot of money for like a more sense of calmness and connectedness yeah. to who I am. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So you mentioned sort of like changing your environment, changing your location, giving yourself some rest time. One thing my wife has introduced me to, which I'd never previously really gone for, was like all-inclusive holidays as well where everything's taken care of. You don't have to, th- you know, you don't have to think about anything. So it kind of frees up your mind to like wonder about life. Yeah. And I, I actually, I've come to think that one week is not enough time. I actually think the minimum effective dose is somewhere around a month break from work mode. So I think being self-employed, you could probably build that in a lot easier. If you just six months ahead of time, just start saying I'm not working in June and then when clients are, you start talking with clients and you say, well, I'm ending in May, I'm taking a month off. Um, it's not that hard to do if you're working on your own. Um, and increasingly, companies don't want to lose their current employees. Just tell them, hey, I'm burning out. I need a month off. Uh, I'm willing to take it unpaid. And just see where you can get that space. But one month seems to be enough space for where people, one, just disconnect and like relax into their bodies a little more to start contemplating. And then three with the, the magic for a lot of people is they start re um, remembering a lot of their curiosities, the things they're energized about, the things they're excited about, and they start feeling that in their body. And I think that's where my journey probably started too, is like leaning more into that mode. It was like small traces in my journey at first. And I kept listening to that. It was like, that energy is nice. I want to like keep letting that creep over my life. And I mean, five or six years later, that energy is like fully alive in my everyday today experience, which is pretty cool. And that's kind of what I'm designing around. Yeah. 
Yeah, excellent. And and I'm curious, like you, so you've sort of been through the well, you've done you've done a lot of traveling. You've sort of lived somewhat nomadic experience. Um, I'm curious, like from all that experiencing of other cultures. Are there any, does that, do you think that gives you a little, a little bit more of an outsider, outside perspective or a different way of looking at things? Or have you seen, you know, the way other cultures approach? For me, it's softened the attachment to my default script. So I grew up in the US. Where'd you grow up? England, Belgium, right? There's probably like, this is what a Belgian, like, I don't know what a Belgian adult is supposed to be doing, right? Um, and then going to Asia, it's like even more different. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing as like a responsible adult, but I know damn well in America, like a man better be working, striving in their career, growing, making money, buying a big house and like have stuff, <laughs> right? That's like a sensible uh, American adult. Now, I don't know what that is in Belgium and it, when I moved to Taipei, like it was complete, like I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And it like, it was so far physically removed and emotionally from the U S that I was able to like, look at those from a distance and be like, okay, what are my work beliefs? What are they, where are they coming from? Are they serving me? Are they not serving me? I feel terrible that I'm not working every day, but why do I feel that? Where does that come from? Is that a good emotion? Is that going to help me be a better person or is there a different way to approach this? So, yeah. And then the other thing, like traveling around the world, like like more rich Western countries like the US, Belgium, uh, England, um, very centered around knowledge, full-time work, full-time office type jobs. That is like the norm. That is not the norm in other countries. And like there's a lot more like gig economy and just like people doing their own stuff, being entrepreneurial um, in other countries where it's like, Hey, I made enough for the month. I'm going to stop working for a couple of weeks. And you just see those kind of models and you're like, Oh, that's different. Uh, whereas like in, like when I lived in Mexico, I'd have locals say to me, like, I don't understand how like the Americans just like work every day, like in those offices, <laughs> when do they enjoy life? Yeah. Some, something uh, that uh, I also experienced, like when I, when I was early on in my career, I went into consulting as well. And, um, and I read this book, came across Four Hour Work Week, Tim Ferriss, that many of us know well. And, uh, you know, it talked about geo arbitrage and all these kind of concepts that seem quite foreign, seem very interesting, um, you know, and paradigm changing. But I, at the time of reading, I think I somewhat um, dismissed a lot of the things I was reading about because they just seemed so foreign to me. And I, I, and I also assumed that, oh, this is just what crazy people in California do or <laughs> something along those lines. Um, but then taking a sabbatical uh, and traveling around Southeast Asia, I started to meet people who were actually, they were sort of living very similar lifestyles to the ones that he was describing there. Um, is that something that you also encountered? 
Yeah, so I think starting to listen to podcasts like his in 2014, 2015 just expanded my imagination of what's possible. I think that was part of my problem is I was such in a bubble of only people around me doing like consulting work and like their imagination of the possibilities of their life were essentially work full time for the rest of my life, either in private equity, consulting, corporate strategy or like tech, right? And like most of that life was centered around like having really good money and like access to a lot of stuff in life. And I didn't really want that as bad as anyone around me, but I didn't have other options. So I think podcasts really expanded my imagination. Um, I think, yeah, four hour work week never really resonated with me. Um, more of like, it, it felt like an optimization algorithm of like, like remixing your life to like escape work and I think I finally figured it out in the past few years. I think what I realized, and this is like I arrived at this by necessary um, alignment of my life, is I didn't quit my job with like a financially independent retire early number. Like I, did, I didn't reach any sort of financial independence and I had to work. So working on your own, you quickly realize you need to do things you're actually motivated to do because nobody's around to hold you responsible. So I just designed my life around trying things and then quitting them if I didn't want to, if they weren't energizing me and then really shifting to this mindset of designing for liking work. So if I designed with the constraint that I must like my work, how does that dictate what I decide to do and not do? And that is not a, that doesn't maximize revenue. Um, it may over the really long run, but I have no idea. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're optimizing for something slightly different there. Yeah. I'm designing for liking yeah. my life, <laughs> which seems so simple, yeah. but I don't think a lot yeah. of people do it. Um, and, um, if I could just kind of go back to like the process that you've gone through in publishing this book, there was an article you wrote recently, uh, that you shared online, which was around, um, you know, this is, this is the first book that you published. And you came to it with a lot of preconceived notions that you found weren't actually totally true. Can you tell us about some of the things that you've learned and maybe some of the advice that you give to other people who are maybe thinking of publishing something for the first time? My process is very emergent. So I think a lot of people have this meme in their head, like, I want to write a book, right? And then when they dig into that, it's like, how do, how do you write a book? You start with like, oh, publishers do books and they do books like this. I basically went into, in it to the, with the mindset of like, I want to do this my own way on my own terms. And it came out of years of writing about these topics and talking with people. And essentially at the end of 2020, I had reached a point in which I was feeling better about my writing. Like I had definitely grown and improved a lot, uh, but wanted to push it further. And then three or four people all were like, hey, have you ever considered writing a book? And I said, maybe, would that be interesting? And I started out with the mindset of, I'm just going to throw a bunch of essays together I've written and try to connect the dots. It turned out like going into that, I realized I had a deeper story to tell. For one reason, it was I needed to figure out why this mattered so much to me. And it took me an entire 12 months to figure that out. And uh, it's in the introduction uh, of the book, if anyone reads it. And you can read that free on my site. But um, yeah, it, it took me a while to figure that out. But also, 
along the way, I kept realizing I was capable of more. So like I kept ramping up. I said, I'm going to ship this in three months when I launched the project. And then I realized it was six months. And then I realized it was nine months. And then I eventually published at 13 months. But yeah, I didn't have like a page target or thing. And I totally just figured everything out along the way. And I get a ton of joy out of doing that. Right. And then when I launched, I didn't do like perfect launch strategy. I just like kept sending it to the people I've been conversing with for the past five years. And, um, if it's going to take off, it's going to take off. I don't know. Um, yeah, but yeah. Well, one of the other things I found interesting about what you wrote was, um, uh, that you were 90% of the way done like several months before publication, but that last, that long tail, uh, was a lot more challenging than you might have initially expected. Um, yeah, so I thought I was 90% done in July, August, September, October, November, and December. <laughs> I was actually 90% done like the first week of January. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just, I mean, I think working in consulting, you work on these like three-month consulting projects, and they're very confusing and stressful the first couple of years you're doing these kind of things. But then a few years in, you kind of get a sense for where you are in the project and you kind of know, okay, there's this much, I can get this much done. I don't need to worry about this deadline. Um, but like writing a book, I had been complex projects before. I've never been anything like this because I was pushing my, the, my capacity of like, but the writing in my books, the best writing I've ever done like by a big margin, I think. And I don't know how that happened, but it did. And mm -hmm. it kept, it required me to keep pushing uh, to my edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great. So um, I know we've got a few time constraints here, so I'd love to maybe do a part two sometime in the future. Um, but uh, as we wrap up here, would you be able to just tell people like where they can find obviously your book, but also where they can connect with you online and find out more about the work uh, that you do? Yeah, think-boundless.com is usually uh, my site. That's a good place to start. Um, and on Twitter, P underscore Millard, M-I-L-L-E-R-D. Uh, I'm pretty open and down to chat with anyone around these topics, but uh, yeah, it, it's a interesting time. A lot are lots changing, and uh, I I hope my uh, bold attempt at a new story for thinking about work paths and our this is helpful for people um, because that's why I wrote it. And if anyone wants uh, a copy of the book and doesn't have the budget for a book right now, just email me and I'll gift it to you. Very generous, Paul. Thank you very much. So listeners, uh, you, know, you know where to find Paul now. Thanks so much for your time, Paul. And uh, maybe catch you for part two. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for listening. This show is brought to you by Spotlight Podcasting, which is an agency I run where we help consultants launch podcasts that align with their business goals. Now, how do we do that? You might wonder. Basically, we simplify the whole process by setting you up with interviews between you and your ideal prospects, as well as strategic partners. And then we handle all the rest for you. So that means the tech setup, audio editing, show notes, production, distribution, all that stuff. You won't have to worry about it. So if you're ready to launch a podcast that will take you minimal time to run, you can find us at spotlightpodcasting.com.